Hey guys, before we get started, the same old business. Follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at LaunchpadPod and our website, launchpadpod.com. Tell your friends about us. We really appreciate hearing from you guys every week. Our fans send us the most amazing suggestions of movies to watch. Great comments on our episodes telling us what you like, what you thought we should say differently, your opinions. We love hearing from you guys. Thank you for commenting on our social media posts. We love it when we hear from our fans. And if we put something up that we think is funny or that we like, we will give you a shout out on the air. We really appreciate it. Tell your friends about us. Leave that review on Apple iTunes. Today, we have a great episode. We talked to the creator of The Punisher, Jerry Conway. Let's get to the episode. Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. All right, welcome to Launchpad Podcast. I'm Aaron. Uh, Matt. And Matt, today we, we got some fun stuff going on. Uh, you went out on a little little uh, field assignment, but this was like a long time ago you did. But yeah, you went on a field February, assignment. February, so it was almost a year ago. Yeah. Uh, it was a Long Beach Comic Expo, which is actually like a kind of an offshoot or sister satellite con of the Long Beach Con, which is a real fun con. This was in, what did you say the date on it was? February of, of 2019? Yeah, it was uh, yeah February 17th. That's quite a while ago. They had some cool people there, and I actually got to sit down with some who I was super psyched to talk to and I got ridiculously sick that weekend and I was supposed to go for two days do a bunch of stuff and I was so sick that I was like alright I'm gonna try to recoup and just get better to re- do this one interview and I literally flew in did this one interview kept my shit together and then busted out of there went home and slept for like 45 hours so uh, I'm really excited I got to sit down and talk with the creator of Punisher Jerry Conway and this guy has done tons of stuff like you said he killed Gwen Stacy he created the Punisher he's done so much writing for Marvel and DC and just tons of just big name characters and comic books. He introduced Killer Croc. I don't think he created Killer Croc, but he introduced them in one of the comic books that he wrote. Jason Todd, he introduced that character for Detective Comics. Uh, but like, do you remember the first time you read like the death of Gwen Stacy? Do you remember how devastated Actually, that was? Actually, I, I do remember because I remember it for sure because I bought it in a hardcover. You know, I got into comics late. I know you love when I say that on the show, but I got into comics late. I was you guys my can't hear already. my eyes rolling. It's okay. <laughs> Dude, I could feel them. I didn't even need to see them. But I remember the night I read that book, it was a hardcover, and I believe it's called The Death of the Stacys. It was a Marvel premiere hardcover. So it had the story where her father dies first during a Doc Ox Spidey fight, and then it also had, you know, the whole lead up of the actual death of Gwen Stacy. And I was reading that book when Amanda was coming to pick me up for one of her earlier dates. And I remember like trying to sell her on how heartfelt the story was. And she could give a shit. She's like, this guy's so handsome. I'll just deal with his stupid bullshit nerd stuff. <laughs> you know, this many years later, she still hasn't read the book, but her loss. Well, it's not her loss. She ended up with me, so she kind of won. But, uh, <laughs> but no, that book is it's incredible and it's a gut punch for sure. Do you know something amazing about it though? Uh, it was such a gut punch that publishers in Mexico were like, you know what? Nah, not gonna kill her. So in Mexico, there's about 50 issues where she just stayed alive. Interesting. At the time, Marvel was just trying to figure out how to do you know they couldn't handle their business end of shit so mm-hmm. they actually were licensing the comics and their characters out so that other people could write the stories right so the Mexico arcs were slightly different than what was happening here in America and there's like 50 issues before that publishing branch closed where Gwen Stacy just didn't die I'm like what blew my mind that that 
is a reality. It, you know, it's really cool though. And part of the reason, like, we love doing this show because me and Rumi just like to riff with each other and the show. We started this show just to make each other laugh and nerd nerd out about shit. And we thought like other people would like to listen to our stupid conversations. But we've gotten to like talk to all these cool people who like mean something to our nerd ass lives. And to talk to somebody like Jerry Conway, who has this amazing cred of putting such a big thumbprint on the Marvel universe, you know, comics in general, but certainly he's often associated with Marvel because he created characters and he created these arcs. He created the Punisher and he killed Gwen Stacy. Those are huge, huge things that have huge ripples throughout the whole Marvel universe, shaped the universe, you know? And I think it's so cool to actually sit down and talk with him about that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And I mean, the Punisher, to create a character like that, to go, all right, so far, all of our heroes and all of our characters have been, you know, black and black or white, like the gray area that the Punisher brought was pretty new. And it was also really gritty for the time. I mean, I, you know, Batman always had a little bit of grit to him, but this was before Dark Knight Returns. So like mm. the Punisher as a gray area character who's like, you know, he, he started as a villain, you know, hunting Spider-Man, but his morality was very iffy. And that was part of what made him such an interesting character. So, yeah. And a lot of people, you know, they we, like you just said, they call him a villain because he was going after Spider-Man in the first issue that he was created. But when you when you read it, he is ambiguous in that in which he first of all, he's being manipulated by the Jackal into going after Spider-Man. So already you could take some of the responsibility and accountability for his actions off of him if you believe that but in the book he's not portrayed as crazy he's not portrayed as a killer he seems like he's got his own code of, of ethics and stuff so you kind of see that he's almost like a mercenary in, in that he doesn't necessarily have allegiance one way or, or another so even though he's a bad guy in this kind of and in the next issue or two he appears in, in Spider-Man books it's very gray and it's a really interesting and smart way to create that character especially when you see what that character becomes they really were starting to set down these really really cool footstones of, of of the beginning of the character and what would what would happen next this is in 1973 is when this first issue came out yeah it was uh it was february of 73 or 74 it was uh, an amazing spider-man book amazing spider-man 129 if you guys are familiar with it or even if you're not it's the very famous image of a yellow cover and punishers on the left hand side shooting towards the right side of the of the of the image spider-man is in a giant crosshair upside down kind of dodging bullets on a on a building and that is the first issue it's actually a spider-man issue it's uh, a amazing spider-man 129 and that was the first time the punisher appeared and i think he came in again pretty quick and, and not the next issue but a couple issues later he popped up and down to be in and out of it but that image which i'm going to ask you guys to think about for the next couple of weeks but that image is a pretty pop culture heavy thing that's been parodied before mocked i think a lot of people know it a lot of people know it as a punisher image even though it's technically a uh a Spider-Man image. That was the first time he appeared. And uh, a villain called the Jackal is using the Punisher to kind of carry out some evil deeds. He's trying to get back at Spider-Man. Isn't the Jackal the one who ends up being responsible for maximum clonage? I don't know, man. Not everybody read that bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. I read the Jack. The Jackal's been in a couple things, but he's like a, a C or maybe a B lister at best. He's mo I think he's most known for his role in this comic book. I think that's the first thing most people, at least most people our age, think about when they think about. Um, he's more of like a puppet master. Like he usually is pulling the strings of something else. Kind of looks like a little werewolfy kind of. He almost looks like Mo Moss Man from He Man with ears covered <laughs> in green, like shaggy, smelly hair. That's <laughs> uh, that's pretty funny. And in true Launchpad fashion, we get to give these creators a chance to talk 
talk about something that maybe they don't get to talk about that often. I mean, Jerry Conway gets asked about killing Gwen Stacy every time he's interviewed. He gets asked about the Punisher every time he's interviewed. And you gave him a chance to talk about something else he's passionate and kind of the genesis of how he got into comic books. Well, we've been teasing it enough. Let's drop it. This is Matt interviewing Jerry Conway at the Long Beach Comic Expo from 2019. We are here at Long Beach Comic Expo 2019. The Launchpad is lucky enough to sit down and talk with Mr. Jerry Conway. How are you today, Mr. Conway? I'm great. How are you? I have to tell you, this is an extreme pleasure. We on our show get to talk to a lot of amazing people, but you have made a, a, a personal, passionate impact on me Aww. As well as a lot of our, our listeners, you have really made your mark on comics. I mean, I wrote down all the things that you've done. <laughs> There's, I mean, we've got Iron Man, Spider-Man, Superman, Batman. Uh, you created The Punisher. You created Firestorm. You've written uh, so many horror comics that I don't, even, I don't even think people really know or remember that you did. Uh, you, you created Werewolf, Werewolf by Night. You did the first issue of Tomb of Dracula. So it's not just superheroes, but you could do the scary guys, too. <laughs> well, that's uh, kind of the genre that I started out in uh, as a writer in the late 60s. The opportunities at DC were to break in by writing short, what, what they called mystery stories, but what we would today call, you know, kind of horror stories. Mm -hmm. And you were 16 when you wrote your first story for House of Secrets? I actually was about to turn 16. I, I, Get I, it, out. It, it wasn't for House of Secrets. It was for a magazine called Tales of the Unexpected. The editor of that thought that I was already writing for House of Secrets. So he wanted to have me write for that, that book because he wanted to show that he was as hip to uh, the new writers as uh, the other editors. And wow. was kind of shocked when he realized that he had bought my first story. That's incredible. Now, w when you're talking with this gentleman, is this a face-to-face? -face oh, or yes. you Yeah. So he knew you were a kid. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, I presented a little older, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, but I, I, I certainly probably didn't look like I was 15. I probably looked like I was 18. And that this was back in uh, 67, 68. You know, 68 was, I, was the year I actually sold that first story, and I turned 16 in September of 68. That is unreal. And then went on to write for Dick Giordano for uh, House of Secrets and Witching Hour. As a horror nerd, I was a horror nerd before I was a comics nerd. That's incredible. And I think y you lived the dream as far as like getting your foot in that door and, and, and starting to make stuff yours sure. as a child. Did you always have that bug to create? Oh, absolutely. I... I I think I recognized when I was about nine years old that I wanted to be some kind of creator, either a writer or uh, an actor or uh, a, a movie maker, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, at age nine, all of that is in, it's like, yeah, you could be a fireman, you know, sure, <laughs> yeah, yeah, all that kind of stuff. But it was when I went to high school and started writing short stories on my own, read about people like Jim Shooter, who was writing comics from age 13 mm -hmm. that I saw there was a potential uh, venue for me as a, as a kid to, to enter into this adult world. So I was lucky. I was lucky that the, that, I, that, that occurred at a moment in, in comic book history when both publishers were open to bringing in new talent. Now, it's interesting the way you phrase that. As a kid stepping into an adult world, 
I assume that you mean writing and creating, you know, media. Yes. Your first couple steps into that world were through horror, which I think is a very adult world, uh, let's say compared to superheroes, which you're also extremely well known for. At that point in your life, when you're 13, 14, 15, and you're starting to dabble with that stuff, were you mostly dabbling in horror, or did you also play out some superhero stuff? I was stuff? a huge science fiction fan, in okay. addition, but I was a big superhero fan. So I wrote science fiction short stories and uh, adventure short stories. I submitted my science fiction short stories to science fiction magazines. I actually sold a couple of them before I got out of high school uh, and sold my first novel before I got out of high school. <laughs> but the, uh, I always wanted to write superheroes. And as I say, the, the major venue uh, that, was, that was open to new talent was to write these horror mystery stories. Mm -hmm. what, what's funny is, you know, the, a, a lot of the uh, connection to the uh, DC stuff uh, of the late 60s is uh, to the EC comics of the right. 50s. And I had never read those. And there was no way to actually have read those sure. in, the, in the late 60s. The only material that was even close to it was the eerie and creepy comics of the mm -hmm. time. And those I did read, and I was, I was fans of that. So I was more influenced, say, by Archie Goodwin as a, 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 a writer of fantasy slash horror fiction than uh, anyone else working in the comics field. Like you said, I'm a sci-fi horror nerd. I do practical special effects oh, because cool. growing up, that's what I loved sure. watching, loved doing. Sure. And now as an adult who's into comics, it's amazing and it's a real fun trip to go back and look at the old horror stuff. And even some of the stuff I'd known that you'd done, like like Tomb of Dracula and uh, Werewolf by Night, but there were some of the old House of Secrets, House mm -hmm. of Mysteries I didn't realize that you did. So to prepare for this interview, I went back and read some. And I was like, oh, this is incredible. And to think that you were a kid yeah. doing that. I mean, that's, that's yeah. unreal. What sort of stories or what sort of either books or uh, movies spoke to you as a kid that, that, that really got you going? I started reading Famous Monsters of Filmland, for yeah. example, like almost as soon as it came, started coming out. So, like from 1959 on, and mm -hmm. at that I was like seven years old. So I, I did enjoy, you know, the monster movies that were available to see. I was a big fan of the old Universal monster f films that came out in the uh, on local TV in the afternoon, mm -hmm. and then uh, Twilight Zone, uh, Outer Limits. I was a very big fan of Outer Limits. Uh, so that was the pr preparatory work, you know, that, that I had. Yeah. A lot of that was material that was obviously influenced by earlier writers and uh, creators, but that those original, that original material wasn't available. Sure. So I was getting it secondhand, just like Archie Goodwin was clearly influenced by the EC comics that he read as a kid. He became my influence, so I was getting it secondhand through Archie. Similarly, Corey Ackerman's fascination with uh, the, the monster movies that he saw when he was a young man in the 30s, mm -hmm. I received that secondhand through the, the reruns on TV and through his fascination with it in uh, the famous monster filmland. I didn't really become aware of a lot of the original material until the late 60s, early 70s, when I would read you know, the reprints that would come out through Ballantine Books. Ballantine Books, I think, published some reprints of uh, EC adaptations of Ray Bradbury's stories. And that then became a, a, a new source of material for me to, to, to read. Robert Howard, his uh, Conan stories, and then subsequently 
some of his other fiction would become available. But a lot of the, uh, the influences were second, secondary and tertiary. Those are, it's so important to think about, too, because horror at that time was not horror what it is today. No. It didn't have the proliferation in the marketplace. And both technology and printing was so different. So like you said, you couldn't just go pick up some of this stuff. Yeah. Magazines like Famous Monsters were super important for those of us who were looking for that at that time, because there wasn't, I mean, there certainly wasn't the internet, right? Yeah. So that yeah. whole thing is gone. And, and there were also wasn't, uh, I think Famous Monsters of Filmland was actually the only film magazine popular, I mean, big enough that, that, that it would appear on the newsstands. There were, there were smaller magazines that were specialty magazines. But, you know, people like Steven Spielberg uh, and uh, 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 Joe Dante, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they received their fir their primary education in film from film from famous monsters sure. of film lab. Before you could get interested in the work of Francois Truffaut, you were interested in the work of J uh, John Agar, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> or Jim uh, or Jack Arnold for a Creature Within the Black Lagoon or things like that. So yeah, we, we we were we were both beneficiaries of the television revival of of a lot of these movies and influenced by the TV shows that were, were also influenced by, I have mm -hmm. to say, Outer Limits and, uh, and uh, the original Twilight Zone. Let's go deep into the shadows here. What stories, either as a kid or today, what stories keep you up at night? Uh, there's one Twilight Zone story that really affected me when I was a kid, and it was... Uh, I, I don't remember enough of the actual story, but the, the images in it where this guy wakes up, doesn't know who he is, um, wanders into town. Nobody, it, it, people there either seem to know him or don't know him. You know, it's just very, very mysterious. Mm -hmm. And then at some point, he cuts his hand and peels back the skin on his on his wrist, and he's a robot. Oh. And I, that I, I I think was such an interesting. I mean, it freaked me out as a kid, but it's the idea that you don't know who you are. Or, or what you are, that you could be something completely different from what you think you are. And, of course, a lot of themes in comics, superhero comics, sure. you know, uh, relate to that. But that was one of the original scary uh, uh, visions that I, that I experienced maybe when I was eight or nine years old. I also saw uh, a movie called Frankenstein 1970, mm -hmm. uh, which came out, in, I think, in 1959, 1960. And uh, there's a scene in there where um, Boris Karloff, as the mad doctor takes a uh, jar of eyes from a refrigerator that he's about to implant them in his Frankenstein monster and he drops them on on the floor of the laboratory and the, the eyes bounce around on the floor oh. and I was like eight years old I had convinced my mother to take me to see this movie and I was up out of my chair and halfway out of the theater you know <laughs> when I saw this. And I, I didn't actually see the rest of the movie for like 15 years. <laughs> but so those kinds of things creep me out. You know, body horror creeps me out, which I guess you could also say is uh, that, that, that robot uh, reveal is also body horror. So David Cronenberg's films freak That's me out. That's what I was going yeah. to ask you for watching uh, Cronenberg's And, and I have a real, I, I will not watch torture porn now. Fair uh, enough. For, for the same reason. So uh, that's, I think that's my ultimate creep out. You know. Those are pretty good. What, uh, what, what modern day horror, again, whether it's a, a, a book or a comic book or a movie or TV show, what modern day horror speaks to you? I think psychological horror now. Okay. Again, the, the horror of 
body horror is is always you know kind of creepy but psychological horror interests me more a film like event horizon which sure. has its over-the-top physical horror at the end mm-hmm. is actually much creepier for 85 percent of the film yeah when you have these people not sure what's going on you know they're 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 basically unraveling mm-hmm. in front of you that to me is is interesting and, and scary blair witch project which is a not a very good film but it is a real interesting study in psychological horror these kids basically creep themselves out and make themselves go crazy mm-hmm. and uh that to me is fascinating you know that that spoke to me so i i, I actually think less is more in the horror game sure but you know I, when i write as a r- working in a visual medium i'm going to i'm going to go for the visual uh as much as anything but i am going to also be more interested as a storyteller in what's going on with the characters internally have you watched any of the the new Netflix show, uh, the House on Haunted Hill? Did you watch any of I that? I haven't seen it yet. No. Have I mean, you seen the original Haunting? Oh yes. Yeah, I saw. I just I, watched I, that last psych- night. Great psychological. It's horror. incredible, yeah. and that I think that movie gets a lot of guff because it's long, because it's well, black yeah. and white, yeah. and because you know but I it's feel, a slow burn. Oh, absolutely, that's and that's point. what I would say. I think yeah. a lot of people say, "Well, nothing happens," and I'm like, "No, no, you're missing the point." Yeah. Because that movie is, it's super psychological, and I get freaked out watching it, even though nothing is jumping out of you. Look at The Innocents, which is another great horror Mm -hmm. film from that same era, where, you know, it's this slow realization that uh, things are not what they seem. You know, that I think is is fascinating, and and it's great horror. I'm a patient guy, so I'm willing to put up with a lot of of stuff. When when it comes to movies, I'll sit through a lot to get... if If I feel like I'm in the hands of an artist who knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes something is boring just because it's boring. Sure, uh, but, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but when you're working with someone, when you're dealing with someone like Robert Wise, you got to give him the benefit of the doubt. Sure. You know. Well, I don't want to keep you for too much longer, but let me just give you one more thing. You have done comic-wise, I mean, you've even done a ton of TV, and mm-hmm. you did a story by for the Conan movie. You did a ton of cartoons, including, and I had to mention this to you, a cartoon called Dino Saucers? Yes, I, I, I wrote some <laughs> of those with my ex-wife, yeah. That, uh, yeah. that cartoon is incredible, and I don't know why it's not on DVD. <laughs> I, don't, right. well, I don't know. As a kid, I thought it was incredible. Yeah, let me, let me preface it with that. But you've done so much in comics. You've done different genres. You've done Western, you've done horror, mystery, superheroes, and you've touched so much of the biggest properties in comics. Is there anything that you haven't done that you haven't written yet that you would love to take a shot at or that you already have a, a pitch ready for? I never have a pitch ready, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I, I'm spur of the moment. Uh, I get inspired when something is presented to me as an option. Uh, I don't like to futile, futilely, you know, pursue things that are not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But I've always regretted that I didn't have the opportunity to do Green Lantern as a series. Oh, Okay. That was one of my earliest wish fulfillment characters, you know, because he's the perfect wish fulfillment character. Uh, he literally gets all of his powers from a magic ring. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> you, can't, you can't get any better than that. So uh, I, I always thought that that would be something to, to really delve into. And the, at least before the last 20 years when Guardians of, of Oa and the whole core mythology has been laid out very very well and very uh, very much in depth. Mm-hmm. Back when I was uh, writing in the late 70s, early 80s, it would have been an opportunity to, to jump into that and to really, you know, explore it. So at that point, I would have 
enjoy doing it. I, I don't mm. think I'd get much out of doing it now because it's all pretty well tread. Right. All right. Well, I really, really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much. We would Thank love you. to talk to you again in the future because I only have about a billion more questions <laughs> to ask you. Well, thanks for talking about the horror stuff because that was an interesting. Oh well, now that area. I like, we could we can talk and and come up with some good topics. We can have you. We just had um all the guys from the Nightfall series, uh, the Batman Nightfall series. Oh, cool. We did a series on werewolves. Oh, and cool. we talked all about werewolf by night. So it was. I mean. Those guys are huge fans of yours as well. So that was super fun. But thank you, thank you for coming to the Launchpad. We appreciate it. Have a great rest of the con, and we'll talk to you you soon. Matt, I love sending you out to these things, and you always come up with the best questions, great interviewer, and you get people to say fun stuff, and I think they have a good time when they're talking to you because they can tell that you are a fan, and when you get people to be fans, when we get people to be fans with us, I think those are just the best interviews, and we get to ask people questions that hopefully they don't hear every freaking time they're talking to people. Yeah, and you know, to that end, it's so cool to hear him talk about horror comics, and I think that's something really cool to talk to people of that generation. A lot of comics creators, they grew up reading different comics than, say, you and I did. So they had those comics. Horror comics were such a big part of the industry back then that I think a lot of the people you and I look up to as comic creators and comic writers and artists, they grew up reading and and watching and emulating some of these horror genre, not only in film, but also in comics. So it was really cool to hear him talk about how some of those books attracted him, influenced him, you know, changed how his storytelling was and also made him want to be part of that universe, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, we've been very lucky to talk to a bunch of creators who have helped shape things that we love. And it's kind of cool. It puts an even more personal touch on it. And like you said, I think they get, most of these people we talk to, they get wind that we're creators and our hearts are in it. And that kind of seems to get them excited. And so far, we really haven't talked to too many people who turn out to be jerks. Like most of these people are just as psyched to be at cons as we are. They're just as psyched to talk about the characters that mean something to them as we are. And they're just excited to talk about the things that inspired them just like we're excited to talk to them about how they've inspired us. I hope we get him on the show again because I really want to ask him this one question. I wonder if he had any sort of personal feeling or like wish that he could do something that was like a visual anti-action. Was there something that happened in his life that like or that has happened where he's like man I wish I could just be the Punisher and go take this guy out or like is there you know when you're writing a character like that that thought must be going through your head at some point of how you would react if you had that kind of power mentality so i would i would love to ask him that question so i hope we get to talk to him again to get a little bit more uh in depth about his personal feelings of of the vigilanteism of it all that he you know came about when he created the punisher and you know from being on set or on site when we do these interviews rooms a lot of times you know leading up to the actual breaking out of the microphones or as we're putting the microphones away you kind of bullshit with these creators a little bit more and he did tell me a funny story in which a little kind of short impish green-haired guy kind of manipulated him him into trying to kill a superhero who is powered by radioactive spider bite. So a lot, I think a lot of his ideas from this story. <laughs> oh, Rumi. I didn't fall for it this time. You could have. Uh, I saw for your eyes from the get go, but I, I leaned into it anyway. Well, you, you, you could have had me going when you were like, and then he told me this funny little story and I was like, oh boy, here it is. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, Matt, yeah. we have some really exciting news to drop for our next week's episode. Yeah, are we ready? Are we saying it? Can we say it? I think it's time. We have to say it. It's coming out next week. I'm not going to leave them hanging. We've been teasing this for like a month now. And it's a big deal. Uh, today, you heard us talk with the creator, the, the original creator of The Punisher. Next week, we talk to our favorite screen Punisher, Dolph Lundgren. That's right. You heard it. You heard it. Dolph Lundgren is coming on the Launchpad podcast. Matt got to go out and sit down with him. I was trapped in Atlanta, but Matt got to sit down with him at a swanky-ass hotel and got a amazing <laughs> interview. It is super fun, and I could not be more excited for you guys to hear it. And this is something that I've wanted to do for years. Before we even had a, a show, I wanted to talk to him about Punisher, because I always think that movie's so underrated. I think it's a great example of Punisher. It was made at a great time for that type of movie. I thought he did a very good job. If not, you know, the movie's a little silly at times and a little um, tongue-in-cheek, whether it meant to be or not. But it's so fun. He knew what it was, and he was a great guy to talk to about it. You got to check out the interview. And you talked to him about He-Man. Cool. Talked to him about Masters of the Universe and just 80s action films. It was just, it was one of the more rewarding interviews I've ever done, I have to say. And uh, it meant a lot to me personally. Part of that, I'm not going to give too much away, but this wasn't just an interview. We did some other stuff with him. Uh, well, and, I am uh, going to give it away, Matt. That There's more. Give it away. There's, okay, give, you give it away. I gave away the who it was. You give it away. There's more. Guys, with the interview, we've been working on a little art project where Matt and I recreated some famous Punisher images. And one of them is the cover that we talked about at the beginning of the episode. It's the Amazing Spider-Man 129 cover where the Punisher is first debuted. We got to recreate that cover with Dolph Lundgren reprising his role as the Punisher. It's the Punisher on the cover. Dolph Lundgren. Matt is Spider-Man upside down getting shot up. I'm the little Spider-Man up in the corner. It is an amazing iconic image. And we got to recreate it for the Launchpad podcast with Dolph Lundgren as the Punisher. How freaking cool is that? But there's more. What? We did a inside piece of art where the Punisher is blowing away a couple of goons and Dolph Lundgren did it again. Matt and I are getting blasted away and we had some help from an amazing comic book artist named Eric Rose who helped us put this together and it was a big team effort and I think the end product is incredible. What do you think, man? You love these pictures or what? I mean, I love them. It's We'll talk about it more when we do the episode, but the, the some of these pictures actually have significant sentimental value to me. I'll go into it why, but uh, Dolph Lundgren didn't wear the Punisher shirt in his Dolph Lundgren Punisher movie. So to have him take a couple minutes with us exclusively with the Launchpad podcast, wear the shirt and do some shit with the Punisher. And he was into it, man. We'll tell you more about that next week. Don't miss next week's episode. Next week's episode, Dolph Lundgren with some comic book art recreations. That is November 13th. Huge drop. Don't forget to follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Launchpad Pod and our website, launchpadpod.com. Guys, we love hearing from you. Thank you so much to everybody who responded to our video store episode. We loved hearing from you guys. Big shout out to everybody who reached out and told us about their video store genre preferences, where you would put gremlins. I'm still going to fight Matt over that to the day. <laughs> yeah, I know. Die. We definitely have. That's coming, to, that's coming to blows for sure. Oh, man. But uh, until next week, guys, we are the Rocketeers and we are out. Matt, let's blast this thing off. Ignition sequence start. Six. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff.